incoming transmission from Podfleet Command on screen. Welcome to the the second episode of Trek Geeks Picard Live. My name is Barry DeFord, and I will be still your inner light of remembrance while we look back at what was the prim- what was the second episode of Star Trek Picard, known as Maps and Legends. And as the internet or as the uh, internet drops new episodes, and perhaps if the internet drops my internet of, up here in Canada, we do have a little bit of an up and down. We do have our EBH standing by, which is the uh, uh, the, the improvised uh sorry my brain stopped working there for a second it is the uh hologram that can pop up and he looks a lot like bill smith so uh we do have a fair bit of sentient life uh happening as well uh behind the scenes so i think we can get starting by saying that the broadcast is streaming on youtube and facebook and picard live is proud to have fansets as its presenting sponsor so before we get even started remotely, I want to say right off the hob, we got a spoil alert coming in right now. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So this means if you have not seen Maps and Legends, stop watching now. Of course, we do have the live broadcast available for folks on the Tret. Trek Geeks uh, Network stream. You can always check out recorded episodes uh, on there as well. These do record on. So we will be talking about specific character developments, plot points uh, in the episode two of Star Trek. So there will be spoilers. Definitely go and check it out. So let's start, I think, when we uh, go through everything. For those of you new here, we have a few separate segments. We've got the Picard Maneuver, No Pips, No Problem, the Stargazer, and then a few supplementals as they go. So starting off with the Picard Maneuver, I think we want to orient ourselves and uh, see exactly what our man with the bald head is up to this time around. So let's start with the Picard Maneuver. All right. Well, folks, each episode, like I said last time, is going to present us with new information information callbacks and as dan davidson would say the oblique moments so i will briefly summarize the episode noting the points that stood out as i discuss some of the few pieces that are starting to form as we see these episodes develop so getting us into a bit of a sense of what has happened so far of course we get an idea for what the attack on mars looked like uh, that was pretty difficult to see i'm going to say that straight off the bat i don't know about you but um, first of all we could tell that there was a dynamic between the synths and the humans there was something detached it was implying that the synths weren't seen as something as peers spoken of more than spoken to And knowing that's going to end in destruction and death almost immediately, I found it really added attention to the stream or to the to the scene. I'm looking at the stream as I go. So it's nice to see everybody. Dan, yes, that is true. Obleep indeed. So I am quite happy to. uh... Oh, I get it now. That has said that our man with the bald head and we mean Dan Davidson. I always mean Dan Davidson. So back to what I'm talking about, though, we'd have the idea that there is a tool that is being used to kill people by what I think a lot of those people thought was a tool used to help them. So we have an android who's picked up, I think, some kind of cutting implement, and he goes and starts killing his fellow crew members on first contact day. So there is a lot here, because I think what we get more than anything is a monster to start. And I wonder what exactly we're going to get from the purpose, the cause, and 
what is to come with this attack that the synths did. But like I said, we're going to return to that before we get to before we get to comments a little bit later. So in the episode as well, we would see that Dodge and her sister might have had some kind of communication due to the very delightful little um uh they they went they went through all of the different types of uh cool star trekky going through the computer and finding neat stuff sort of thing it was up there actually for me with uh, data and laforge when they used to do that sort of stuff at the back of the bridge on the enterprise from time to time but i am interested to know what this exchange program on the board borg artifact research institute actually is and uh, what it's actually trying to accomplish with everything so we also have a new secret society that has just come along and that is called the Jat Vash. Now I think this is where I'm going to take a second in the Picard maneuver to maybe try and suss out what exactly we might be seeing here because I'm still not fully convinced that we are going to see exactly some kind of just immediate extra group of Romulans we've never heard before. So I'm going to say this a few times but hear me out. I think that the Jat Vash is a complete red herring and I know higher-ups have talked about them i know that there's a lot happening there but i just i for some reason i'm wondering if perhaps they're trying to use that almost as a bit of a a bit of a dodge or a way out i think there doesn't necessarily need to be a deeper society in romulan romulan society itself it kind of harkens to sort of illuminati stuff or um though our relevant society now kind of comes in and out of the fringes of of the uh, kind of conspiracy culture. I just feel this plot point would serve better as a red herring, but who knows? What do you think? So my first question while I continue through the Picard maneuver is, is the Jad Vash the real deal? Or maybe we just dealing with maybe something that could take us in a different direction. For those of you who are new to the Star Trek series, talking about Tal Shiar, talking about stuff, groups like Section 31 might be a little bit outside of your wheelhouse. So welcome if this is your first Trek. But I would say more than anything, Section 31, Tal Shiar, all these groups, it's kind of like they're sneakier than the CIA, but not quite as mythical as the MIB. But I would say that when we start hearing um picard and his um romulan helpers talking a lot more we definitely get this idea that maybe they don't really exist or maybe they're they're kind of used more as a form of control uh, than anything to keep people uh in in their place well outside of that we do um we do get sort of a final statement about um picard uh, and and his his now dead friend Dodge's sister, uh, Soji, and the idea that there's a ghost in the machine. So I think there's something to ponder further there. We then go on to Picard talking with Dr. Ben Ayun, a former friend and colleague from the Stargazer, and we get the closed circuit between Picard in the series of TNG and now um, with the parietal lobe problem that is coming his way we know that this is something that gets him and it was an interesting moment i think this is kind of picard's pike moment in a lot of ways we get to orient ourselves to the fact that though he may no longer be in starfleet he still does embody those things and i like that moment when ben ayun says you really want to go back into the cold knowing and he says more than ever knowing so that's wonderful 
the conversation between Picard and Admiral Clancy is less than wonderful. And I love some of the conversation around there. And I will be going back to that quite a bit later on in the future uh, when we will be talking in no pips, no problem about how the Picard or how Picard and the Admiral end up working together to give us a really good sense of where Starfleet is at on a number of things. And I think there's a little bit between the lines that we can get to as well. I think it comes down a lot to uh, the Admiral's righteous indignation and perhaps the righteous indignation of some of the watchers of this who are having to see maybe some of the archetypes we wanted to hold on to falling apart. Starfleet has never been bad. Well, Trekcore on Twitter has an amazing thread that will maybe break that apart a little bit. So I've said enough. I'm going to pop really quick through some of the comments and talk about those before I go on to my larger conversation about synths in the Picard Maneuver to give ourselves an idea of what we're looking at in terms of as the synth story develops, how can we orient ourselves to what we have just seen? Because it's hard to unsee. So uh, I'm going to have my my trusty EBH pop up, maybe some good comments that are coming up one or two to start. And then I'm going to get into a bit of a longer conversation in a second here. So looks like everyone has been saying their hellos. It's good to see everyone here. Let's see. I do think that the synths did go full Arium. That is a really good point, Erend, and it's nice to see you again. Um, yeah, the eyes and the downloading. I also noticed in the title sequence, there's a lot of eye and seeing kind of um, imagery that takes place there, and I wonder if that's going to come up a little bit later as well. This is something I've thought about as well. Thank you for mentioning it, Daniel. Um, other faction may be trying to frame the Romulans. I'm going to talk a bit about that in Starfleet in our supplementals, um, because I wonder if there might be something more uh, to all of this. Becky says that uh, I think the Romulan secret society might exist, but maybe not in the way mentioned. I extremist groups that hates androids that somehow connects with the sympathetic Starfleet officer, officers. This is this would be the likely direction, I think, if they aren't just a total red herring. And I think that would be a good total sort of direction they could take if they want to make them make them kind of more of a serious threat, some kind of latent, um, you know, organization searching for some kind of, um, you know, searching for some kind of meaning in this in this time that they exist in. But we can talk a little bit more about that as well. Let's see. What was that movie Patrick Stewart was in where he played a spy that was losing his memory? Ooh, I don't remember that. If someone can find that, the Googles can help us. Let's see if we can do that. But thank you for bringing that up, Arend. Let's see here. And Michael Rad Radmacher says, loving the new uniforms at S Starfleet and the keyhole front opening. Yes, definitely. It is a wonderful uniform, and I do believe it's becoming more available out there, too. So um, as you know, I do like my Starfleet uniforms. Well, <clears throat> these are all really great great starting conversation questions and keep the conversation going while I'm nattering on. But um, I want to pose a couple things about AI and exactly how they, how they operate here and maybe where some of some of humanity's conceits are being brought to the fore here. Because again, the thing we created is going to try to destroy us and we get to watch it. We get front row seats to something trying to destroy us in this sense. And it's uh, it's a bit troubling. So I think, first of all, it happens on first contact day. 
which is to everyone, even uh, Star Trek fans alike, in a very auspicious day, even though, quote unquote, first contact uh, hasn't necessarily happened the way we would have liked it to so far. I mean, I guess we did find some microbes on Mars once, but uh, nothing huge. And they were fossils, so we couldn't really communicate with them. So I think really just looking at those dynamics, you've got some disgruntled workers really cheesed off about having to work on a holiday. It, it really does sort of remind me of the starting 45 minutes of Ridley Scott's Alien uh, from 1979. You really get an understanding of a class distinction between different people within Starfleet and within the Federation or maybe even the full-on United Federation of Planets. There seems to be a bit of a stratification there, um, a splitting of people's jobs and the value of their work. If we were to look at it that way, the value of synth work is, of course, deemed the least uh, important. And I don't know, it sort of harkens to an idea that maybe they didn't spend too much time together very often, but that's always possible. So ultimately, what we end up getting here then is an understanding that synth life doesn't necessarily have to follow what human life looks at. And there are a few laws that we have that exist about understanding artificial intelligence, and they come from Isaac Asimov. Uh, Law one is a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must always obey orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And the third, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. And I think that's important to understand. And I think that's something that sort of follows through with all artificial intelligence as we encounter them in sci-fi. When artificial intelligence goes haywire or it is programmed to do something differently, then we see things like Terminator. We see you know problems like HAL in 2001 A Space Odyssey, where the artificial intelligence takes matters into its own hands. I would argue in this case that though it's clear that the synths definitely took matters into their own hands, I wouldn't necessarily say that they are acting on something that they want to continue. Because if there was to be an AI uprising, honestly, it would have started at Mars, not just been an attack that ended. So there's got to be something more to it. But for the AI to be able to do that, I wonder if perhaps the laws, one, two, and three, might actually be a bit of a problem by even numbering them like that. Because of course, AI starts at zero, right? So is there a law zero that could override everything? Also, I wonder when you see the humans working with the AI creature, they're trying to make creature, oh goodness, I've just, I've just let that go. Do we call it a being? Do we call it an individual? That's a quick question I want to ask. They ask it questions. They try to make jokes with it, right? It tries to make connections as well, right? It's trying to make a connection with that stick joke, and it's looking for affirmation, and it doesn't get it. Um, F8 is is kind of shut down a few times and kind of blamed almost for not getting very specific human-like jokes. So you can tell they just don't work together very often, I think, is the big piece. Um, they work together often enough, I think, to have some rituals and inside jokes, but there's a clear separation that must be perceived by the synths as with the humans. And I guess in this case, First Contact Day brings them together and also unfortunately tears them apart. So could this ultimately be a larger class slash species consciousness developing among the synths? I mean, it is kind of a bit of a bonk bonk on the head when you think about... Um, first contact day in the attack happening and shout out to the fine gentlemen and, and folks at mission log but 
it is as if the synth had had its moment of com- contemplation before it kills itself. So there is some method to all of this madness. And I think that's an important piece that maybe we can get some ideas on uh, with those comments. So what are some things that we are thinking in terms of personhood for uh, AI and synths? What are we thinking about in terms of the choice of the day and perhaps what artificial intelligence own, owes its creators? We could uh, maybe start in that sense. So I think, Becky, you brought up a good point again, that they could have been hacked. And I think that is probably the highest likelihood at this point, watching their eyes go kind of much like Arium's eyes did. Um, and they were working on a schedule, as Aren says, to evacuate the planets uh, in the blast zone. Uh, still needed time to build the ships. This is a, a, a point to what they were probably doing at Utopia Planitia as well. So, I mean, it's sort of an ideal time for these sorts of attacks to be to be happening, obviously. Here's an interesting point here, a game by Becky, that Data is a person, but no other Android-like Data thus far um, has existed to the knowledge of any of the main characters. And I think that's important um, very much as well. And yeah, Bruce, you're right. The stick joke didn't really... uh, If someone said to me what's brown and sticky, I would not say a stick. But anyways, that's maybe a conversation for another day. So yeah, I think... um, the idea here is that what we are looking at is a, a sort of a, a, a real separation between two groups that have to work together quite often. And I wonder to some degree where exactly they want to go with that um, and what the sense are actually going to pan out to be. All right. Well, I think I've said enough about orienting ourselves, but this conversation doesn't have to end in this respect either. I do have some questions that I asked a little bit ahead of time that I might pop into a little bit later as well. But in this point, I think it's time to move on to our next segment, which is called No Pips, No Problem. So on No Pips, No Problem, what we do is we have a look at things from a new angle. Um, Picard is no longer a part of Starfleet, and as it has been made very clear, I don't think they want him back. Um, So how will this change his attitudes, his actions? So let's explore this new dimension of of, of, uh, of Picard in No Pips, No Problem. So I think what we can maybe do is just really quickly pop into life outside of the Federation. I wanted to talk just quickly about Soji and Narek on the artifact ship and how what basically we are dealing with here is a huge, huge foreshadowing scene that, you know, they're, they're talking about being spies. They're talking about being vulnerable, uh, or at least the artifact is lost and vulnerable uh, and all these things that could fly in the face of what the Romulan empire would want to stand for, or in this case, the Romulan free state. I think it's interesting how Narek talks about silencing um, Soji, if it comes to it and her saying, make me. And where I think this is coming down to is Soji and Narek are going to ultimately have some kind of um, some kind of fight, some kind of moment where they are going to come at odds with each other. So I think that's important. Anyways, I want to get on to something a little more important, but just before I do, um, I want to quickly acknowledge that uh, the stream is filling up quite a bit here, uh, one way and another. And I did uh, shout him out, so maybe I'll just drop him in really quick and ask 
Dan Davidson, if he would be interested in telling me a little bit what he thought about the fight, I guess you could say, between Admiral um, the Admiral and Picard. What do you think about Clancy and Picard's little little exchange there? How did it How did it get you? Hey Barry. Uh, well, it was interesting. Um, I think Picard was just as surprised as everybody who was uh, watching to see the Admiral react the way that she did. Um, and it kind of was a little worrisome to me in how this new future Starfleet uh, is, uh, I think is the thing that shocked me the most. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, he's got some information and she just doesn't care because she's more pissed off at him about uh, the broadcast and about the fact that he's Picard and he wants something and he should get it. And I found that very disheartening and interesting at the same time. Yeah, there is a disheartening element and an interesting element to this. And I think this is probably where a lot of people maybe swallowed a little harder when uh, when they had to to take this scene in and go through with it. Yeah. A couple of things that I noticed was, first of all, the cold and curt reception was enough at that point to give up the ghost for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, swearing is now in, in the final frontier. Right. And I don't really have a problem with that, personally. No, I don't either. I mean, I'm an English language arts teacher. And swearing is an art and if you can do it at the right times as long as you you know keep your restraint going i mean i don't think it was a problem anyways notice what she said when picard talked about maddox what about him right i don't know if if that hit you at all in any way shape or form that maybe maddox does have something to do with this or again much like the jad vash i wonder if he's a red herring too i'm thinking he's involved um I, I really think that he's going to have something to do with uh, the rest of the story. Um, I don't know that. Um, it's just a, it's just a guess at my point right now as, as the Canadian internet has uh, taken over once again uh, with Barry and we're joined uh, with by Bill real quick. Um, Barry's back. There, there he is. Look at that. Wow. That's, that's the Canadian internet. internet. Better. Up, yeah. down, up, down, up, down. Um, <laughs> but I, I really think Maddox is going to be a central key to the story. Um, and as I've said on social media, a couple of times I'm really hopeful that they're able to bring Maddox back as a character. And I hope they get the same guy to play Maddox as they did right. in measure of a man. I think that would just be the ultimate circle back um, to something that was such an important part of TNG. And now we see it some 30 or 40, however long years it's been since that episode to come back and be playing such a critical part in the series. Yeah, no, absolutely. So if Maddox is going to be coming up, I think even there, when she comes back to what Picard has said, right, when she's like, that was all of it kind of thing, you know, obviously she made her mind up pretty much immediately. And Mm -hmm. and Picard's attempt even to reason with her at that point, I think if she said that, I think he should have said, all right, thank you, and just walked out. But knowing Picard being the the big negotiator and all this sort of stuff, he goes on and, and tries to actually... Um, he cuts to the chase to some degree by saying what he needs yeah. and then, and then all just immediately, she just shuts him right down. And again, I, I think that's a, that's a defense mechanism on her end more than it's actually her trying to engage with any kind of convincing discussion with him. I don't know what you'd say about that. Well, one of the things that surprised me about that scene is yes, that defense mechanism of hers was one thing, but I think Jean-Luc's response to her, her own hubris, I guess you could say, is his warning and kind of a threat that not helping him is done at her own peril. That was a surprising moment for me for yeah. the character of Picard. Um, I don't know if it was meant more of 
a the entire federation could be in great danger as a result of everything that's going on or if he was just so aggravated by her response that he decided to say something to try to get her to fold which she didn't do well yeah i think she almost drew him into that state of mind right and i think things kind of go to the uncanny when she says the federation gets to decide who lives and who dies i was right. like um yeah. you need to take your delta off now <laughs> yep <laughs> which actually i, I was going to bring this up a little bit earlier uh but yeah becky actually this ties in perfectly right the worst bad moral clancy may not be a villain though and you're right like she could just be a pawn in all of this but i notice notice on dan he's got that lovely looking fansets pin oh, over there yeah. and i've got oh. i've got mine sitting up here have a good look at it and I think it's important. Obviously, again, we've got a, t- a callback to all good things. Mm-hmm. But also, notice how th- behind the Delta, it's fractured. Yes. And I wonder if that could be an artistic choice to show a fracture within the Federation, right? Because if, as originally accepted, the Federation is a pastiche of the UN and the USA, the Admiral's statements reverberates for me into like into TNG. And 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 obviously historically into into times of like the cold war and world war ii and stuff like that where those kinds of choices of like you will live and you will die definitely came up and i think it's Mm -hmm. in this moment that we could see a turning a a turning off for some people for picard if they're not if they're not happy with losing some of those cozy feelings that were right it's almost a bit of a shock treatment but i think one of the things that we struggle with is nostalgia becoming kind of a cultural trap in our society and i think in this scene there's an acknowledgement that this could trivialize some of the events of uh, tng like maybe we just saw one little ship that they put all the good people on it's kind of like a truman show in space kind of while nefarious things are going up in the going on in the upper echelons i don't actually think that but I wonder if if it's like, you know, like it was kind of a moment for us to check our pulse. We've seen Jean-Luc do things like this in the past, though. We saw him do it in Insurrection. He took his common badge off and decided to do things against what Starfleet told him they, they wanted him to do. So it's not like this is new for him. But I think that the level of which he had his response and the the level of passion that he has for doing this and, and finding out what's actually going on with Daj and, and Soji is something that we're not used to with this character. And when yeah. you look at it as he is now so much older than he was when we last saw him in Nemesis to still have that drive and passion, I think might be taking some people by surprise. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of asked, like, what were we expecting, right? Like, we wanted we wanted this, and we got it, and I'm really excited that we do. And I hope that they that they do sort of tread this new ground um, without worrying about the problems that, mm-hmm. that could come, without, without the backlash that might happen. Because, yeah, I mean, uh, that isn't the same guy on the screen that we're seeing anymore. <laughs> Bruce says something interesting here. I'm just going to pop back to that one. I don't think Clancy is a bad role. She, she's just by the book following Starfleet. There is something idealistic to Clancy, definitely, especially when she starts talking to Commodore. Oh, you start wondering if she's actually really as online as possible. That's something that that's the main reason why I wanted to jump in and join you for a few minutes tonight, Barry, mm-hmm. is to talk about the Commodore. Yes. And, if we could, I'm not sure if you had this uh, somewhere else down down uh, on the show tonight, but I, I did want to jump in. One of the things that I found very interesting with episode two, and one of the things that I actually am going to say is something that I don't like about the show right now. It's only the second episode in. It could change. It may not be what happens going down the road, but I'm 
I'm very, I'm very disappointed right now that we're seeing the old fashioned. There's a mole at CTU aspect mm-hmm. of this show. Yeah. And for me, it's on a higher level than that because from what we've seen so far, and I have a feeling this may change, the person who is the biggest problem right now and infiltrated Starfleet seems to be a Vulcan. So for a Vulcan to be doing this just makes no sense to me right now. We may see more of it. She may not be she may be Romulan. She may be something else. I don't know. But I was very I was I, I had to pause a moment when I was when I was watching that for the second or third time and digesting it, saying, this is another trope that we've seen way too much. I don't want to see it in Star Trek anymore. And it seems that that's what we're having right now. I I, I agree with you. And I think that I think that what um what could be fallen into is is it almost kind of pulls Starfleet away from its responsibility. I think that if we can c- continuously get these moles, I don't think that's necessarily outside of what can happen to any society or any organization. I mean, it's naturally going to happen from time to time. Mm-hmm. And for that criticism, I don't think that's there. But I, I understand what you're saying in the sense that, like, I think this needs to be a Starfleet problem, not a mole in Starfleet problem. I yeah. think I think instead of saving Starfleet from a singular threat, I think Picard needs to save Starfleet from itself. And and yeah, we could we could lose that a little bit. Um, yes, Dan's face is truly a Starfleet problem. That is true, and this is what happens Absolutely. when we put when we put uh, uh, hecklers in charge of <laughs> the producing of this show. So uh, just know and that uh, it just I happens. Will, I will say one other thing. Becky brings up a good point, and that's that. Uh, think of uh, TNG season seven with the Rogue Vulcan. Absolutely, I totally understand it, but also. To have this Vulcan at the level that she is right now, she's the head of is it the head of Starfleet security? Like yeah. the, the she's a commodore person, commodore, and is in these discussions with um, with um, was it Rizzo, uh, the lieutenant, yes. who yeah. obviously based on a conversation later in the episode is a Romulan who is surgically altered to look human because she calls Narek her baby brother. Yeah. This is just this is just a, a a spiral that's that right now for me seems to be getting out of control, and I hope they're able to rein it back in in a way that'll make sense. Yes, and Dan Dan Garcia make, brings up a good point as well that Starfleet is an arm of the Federation, so this falls upon the United Federation of Planets itself mm-hmm. um, as well in terms of how they act and what they do. And when Clancy says, you know, like, oh well, you know, there was a bunch of groups that wanted to pull out of the Federation. Like, are you willing to compromise your morals for unity? Are you crazy? Like, that's again where I was just like, what? Starfleet needs to be saved from itself. And it doesn't necessarily need a Commodore, a, a sneaky, nefarious Commodore for that to happen. I mean, that would just be kind of like window dressing to an already larger crisis, right. I wonder. And again, it's not something new. We've seen it before in Star Trek Six. The head of the head of Starfleet was was in on the uh, whole thing with the Klingon. So it's not the first time we've seen it. Yeah, I, I was just a little bit disappointed. Might not be the right word, but to see it so quickly in this new series, it was like, oh, okay. So we got to get Jack Bauer to come in and save the day, obviously. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the big question is: is is are you out of your mind? Right? Is is what I would want to say to Clancy, mm-hmm. and I think that's what she's trying to say to Picard and he is such a gentleman through it until you're right. She starts to almost troll him into it, right? She brings up the interview. She brings up what he did. And then she really gets mean where she's like, Oh, you're just going to have a tantrum and go home and all this sort of stuff. Of course. Right. Also. Yes. I do want to make an acknowledgement that the super bowl is on right now. Um, but, uh, 
The what? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, some some kind of sports game, and it's not Parisi Squares, so I don't know what's happening. I don't think uh, they held it anymore, and the Patriots aren't in it, but that's okay. That's just me. Oh well, yeah, that's, <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to <laughs> well, say. Let me, well, who, let me bring up one other thing that I wanted to mention, Barry, in regards to the discussion that we're having. I understand the Admiral's reluctance to want to help Picard, especially after what he did on the Federation network just a couple of days prior. Mm -hmm. However, for her to completely throw away all of the service that he gave up until the point where he resigned in protest is really hard to believe um, Mm -hmm. from, from an organization like, like Starfleet with everything that Picard has done, been through sacrificed, for her to just throw that right out the window just because she's ticked off at him and doesn't want to um you know want to want to bow to the almighty Picard is a little is a little short-sighted as someone who's in charge of Starfleet I thought. I fully agree. I think that uh, again what she did was before he showed I mean yeah l- there's a title card up right now for those l- listening and not watching where in her eyes you can see a look of what the hell are you doing here slash i'm not going to listen or believe you slash go to hell right i think that um yeah she she's 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 ready she's already made her mind up long before you walk through the door yep which for me shows that there's something else happening. So without his pips, I guess there is no problem. And I do love the idea that, that he starts, starts the work on potentially getting his own ship, which I'm pretty sure is likely going to happen. He needs to get into space now, but before, uh, before I move on to uh, our next few segments, Dan, I want to ask you, are you okay with a, with a star Trek series that might take place off ship more often than on ship? Oh yeah, I have no problem with that at all. Um, uh, you know, things evolve, uh, things change, things grow. Uh, I think we saw that um, people were a little bit um, whether or not Deep Space Nine was going to work because it was in a station that wasn't going anywhere to explore. People were coming to them, and people got used to that. They did bring the Defiant in, and then they went out and explored more. Mm-hmm. The core of Star Trek isn't about being out in space and firing phasers and photon torpedoes. The core of Star Trek is the story and the humanity of it. And I think that they can do that without having the the cool special effects and and uh, the interesting space battles or space uh, um, exploration. That being said, it's nice to see. And I'm sure we're going to see it. I mean, we've seen some great scenes already, um, the Borg exterior and, and, and so forth. So... Um, is it good to have? Yeah. Is it a necessity for Star Trek to succeed? I don't think it is at all. I don't think no. it's needed. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Well, yeah. while you're here, um, before I let you go, uh, there is a, a I, we would both be completely remiss if uh, we didn't talk about the people who take most of our paycheck every month. And that is <laughs> fan sets. Um, of course, we have just a wonderful uh relationship with with fan sets and we'd always love to tell you all about it there are many ways to express your fan fandom but if you're looking for artistry care and attention to detail and friendly down-to-earth earth customer service you really actually won't find better people than fan sets they have new pins and i have some of those new pins to actually physically show you just like dan is wearing his pins you mm-hmm. can see the pins were, were up there um this one i would put on one of my dogs but they would chew it off probably because <laughs> it is quite big but it is really nice and i've actually seen actual like people with like dogs that obey and stuff like that wearing these and it's it's really looking great um this one my uh, my better half quite loves it's a lovely picture of number one looking very happy 
what a great yeah. what a great addition to the cast number one. Oh, I know i want to i want to see what else he can do he's got to have a part and i want to i want to see him do do more and more it's mm-hmm. uh it's a great uh it's a great little statement actually i think by sir patrick stewart as well about uh, rescuing dogs and taking care of dogs and stuff so yeah there is of course the delta is beautiful and you know what's funny while you're showing that delta which is such a fantastic it may be my one of my favorite pins from fan sets so far in their entire collection for some reason i i've worn this every single day since since i got it i just wear it all the time i was watching the visitor on deep space nine today mm-hmm. and in the future the pin uh, their their combat is very similar to this mm-hmm. um i love how they they kept it the the uh the the slashes in the back kind of go all the way up um, yes. in, the, in the more future one but i really like how that continuity has stuck together um as we've seen here on the picard show but yeah fansets has done a great job and one of the things that they have right now just started uh, a couple of days ago is they have the new uh coffee wielding captain janeway is now available what? oh sweet yeah it's awesome it's got the captain nice. janeway smirk and everything there's coffee on that website <laughs> as she would say <laughs> And then, of course, there's the title card as yes. well. These are really, really nice. Um, good ways to, uh, if you were to put this up and then you put all your Picard pins below it, that's uh, typically what I tend to do on my big cork board. Very but nice. I'm not going to, my camera's kind of stationary. I can't move, move there. So <laughs> wonderful. Well, as as a listener, and I don't know if it works for you, Dan, because I think they don't like you anymore. But never um, liked me. if you were to, Okay. Well, if you would like 15% off any of your orders, you can just go onto their website, pick out the pins you want, and you don't even have to stick with uh, with Star Trek. You can go to Alien, DC. Um, there's a whole bunch. Holy cow, there's Harry Potter. It, it, it goes on and on. But uh, just when you get to check out, if you put in all caps, Picard Live, that is P-I-C-A-R-D-L-I-V-E at checkout, you get 15% off your order. And I think that's pretty darn great of the fine folks at Fansets to do to encourage you to express your fandom in the best way you can. Oh, their pins have character. Ha, Dustin, see what I did there? Dustin is Dustin. Oh, oh, nice. Yeah, sorry. Dustin is correct. Uh, Fansets is awesome, and I also love the IDIC pin. Uh, looks like Sarah just ordered her Janeway while probably nice. we were talking. So uh, mm-hmm. just uh, just drop two more on that cart before you hit send, and uh, Dan and I will uh, pick those up <laughs> when we can. Thank you, Sarah. And, Thank you. Yeah, I think they also have the uh, latest episode pins from season two of Discovery episodes uh, nice. uh, five through eight, I believe, are up there right now. So uh, that's all, that's also great. Adding those to my collection. Wonderful. Well, as Fanset says, we are Star Trek, and we would like to thank Fansets for their support. Well, Dan, I'm going to be moving on to my next segment Absolutely. on the Stargazer. You're welcome to stick around if you'd like, or uh, I'm going to start nattering I'm going to go on. Down, so. I'm going to go downstairs, I'm going to flip open my iPad, and I'm going to watch you do a fantastic job for the rest of the show, Barry. just wanted to drop in and say hi, and hope everybody enjoys episode three next week. Then we'll oh, all be I on the same wait. page, because I won't know what will be happening after that anymore either. <laughs> Don't give away the plot. Never. All right. All right. Take care, everybody. Good to be here. Nice to see you, Dan. Well, now we're moving on to the Stargazer. And I really like the Stargazer. First of all, as a ship, it looks like a giant Chicago deep dish pan pizza in space. And it also gives us an idea of where we are looking to moving ahead into the future and also maybe a little bit into the past. So, what is in store for Jean-Luc and what sort of things happened in the past? So I think the first thing I just want to say, and I didn't talk to Dan about this specifically because I'm going to be talking about a lot of intelligence and uh, I suppose we could consider him some form of artificial intelligence, but is this the synths acting out? Because as I said, if this was an uprising, honestly, I think that um, 
if they were going to attack Mars, if they could hack Mars's grid, pretty sure they could hack Earth's grid as well and point the satellites inward and do do all of what they needed to do. So I do think that there's something here. But I just want to take us all back to F8 and that moment where kind of in that metal way, he lets the machine kind of zippy zap and static his head and everything before he ends up shooting himself with the machine he used to kill his coworkers. And the whole of Mars is blowing up around him. And there is a a very discernible pause where you can almost think that in his synthetic brain, in his positronic brain, he's thinking. And I use he here in a neutral term, of course. I don't think synths have a gender. But um, anyways, he does sort of seem to express uh, male in that respect. But I could be wrong. Anyways, here is the synth ready to blow his head off and he waits for a second and he thinks and i do almost wonder if instead of being hacked the synths might have been actually convinced and by whom were they convinced my assumption and my my thought is someone like lore could do that because he has convinced borg to run uh with him in his little gang of miscreants and if lore isn't around anymore well, he was a part of that as well. And I wonder if the attack on Earth was perhaps convinced at the very least by Hugh. Now, again, I'm not terribly sure, but there is something something in that, something to that synth before he ends up uh, taking his own life. Some people have said that uh, this is a false flag attack that uh, was done by the Federation to pull back from um, Romulus, which is, again, very, very much uh, a possibility. So... This is my other thought, and this is probably way out there, and maybe it won't be a part of the uh, part of the actual show itself or the story. But it is something that I think could be an interesting way of looking at this, and I would be very interested to know what people think. And don't worry, be as critical as you'd like here, because this is just my own idea. But I wonder that after the Dominion War, and after what happened with Romulus and the explosion, the 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 supernova, and perhaps being somewhat aware of perhaps some kind of alternate universe. Of course, uh, the folks on the Kelvin timeline have that. But I wonder if this is Starfleet reacting to the fact that things are getting better. I mean, the work of people like Dax, like Picard, like Cisco, Janeway coming back from the Delta Quadrant with a whole new array of of, of ways to, to interact with, with different species and stuff. I almost wonder if is this Starfleet perhaps engineering its own crisis to keep its relevancy in a time of extended peace, or at least at a time when people could start doing away with the things that that make them different? Of course, at the beginning of, of this whole series with the short treks, we see that disaster brings us together. And I think that's important to consider in the sense that what if what we are seeing is actually something that that Starfleet is doing to maintain its relevancy and using um, a, a false attack to get the attention of the people and to start re-fomenting divisions when they don't need to be there is actually the name of the game here. And if that's the case, then I would say that Picard does need to save Starfleet from itself. And I would argue that, you know, looking at social media, of course, everyone here on Camp Kittimer are fantastic. But I do have to say that overall social media can be used for a pretty negative uh, way of communicating with each other and we we start to bring up our differences a lot more so that's just a thought so would you know would they do it well 
I don't know. And uh, let's see what some of the folks have to say in terms of the supplementals um, and saying, is Starfleet just doing this to maintain its relevancy? So I'm going to start with uh, what uh, Mr. Ireland has to say. I don't think they would go that dark. Wouldn't they? I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think of, of other things that they've done. I mean, I think Trek core actually brought this up as well. Shout out to Trek core, um, that, uh, they were a part of a, of a pretty dark attack that attack that happened in the past during the dominion war. So it shows that they're capable, but would they actually do it? Hmm. That's interesting. Let's see here. Aren says, What's weird is they were willing to evacuate the Klingon. Oh, yeah. Yes, they were They were a, a willing to evacuate the Klingon homeworld for peace, but not Romulus. Very good point. And, of course, that's the whole issue behind uh, uh, Star Trek VI. And uh, when when Konos's moon explodes, uh, I think it was Praxis, um, explodes, yeah, they were willing to just jump out there in a hurry and do it. So there must be something, something there. Let's see. Dan Garcia says Starfleet wasn't a war or defensive fleet as a primary purpose. Peacetime shouldn't be a major impact on its operations. Yeah, that uh, that is a good point. But after the Dominion War, I think a lot of people got into some pretty high places and maybe they wouldn't necessarily want to let them let that go in a world where, you know, money is no longer what drives us. The pursuit of wanting to make other people's lives better lies at the forefront of course that's picard's mantra and i think that is the mantra that most people are brought up with but who knows there could be some people who really enjoyed having that much unmitigated power and that could have been what the what what the issue was oh trek geeks are actually saying something here trying to evacuate and picard led that effort yes so in the tie-in comments they were trying but the utopia planitia attack i think um sort of hampered that and caused them to not be able to do it so I think that is interesting. Let's see what anyone else is saying here. Becky says, really hope your idea of Starfleet causing the Mars attack is a rehash of Star Trek six. Yeah. So there is the possibility that we are seeing sort of similar tactics being made to push people into a position of attacking or into a position of not being at peace with each other or basically in a position that benefits someone or some group that is not us and not Picard's not Picard's crew or uh, anyone in the United Federation of Planets who'd be living there normally. So I wonder, I really wonder if, uh, if there's something there and it would be kind of sad if Starfleet was actually planning to do that. Al says, we will find out where this synth workforce came from in the, in the first place. I do believe they were created by Daystrom um, and possibly at the Daystrom Institute itself. Not uh, easy to say if maybe the, the original like prototype was made at the Daystrom Institute and then it was remanufactured elsewhere because of course if they had to outsource it as of course we're aware of in our economies uh, outsourcing is a thing and maybe tampering could have taken place right um, you often wonder where things are made and, and what could be done to augment the ubiquitous machine like one of these F androids Jackie has something to say here. Let's see here. They were getting a lot of use out of AIs. Would they want to do something that cha- that changed that? Yeah, it is. It is interesting how they suddenly go and turn the AIs bad, which could end up bringing into an idea that we could be looking at the Jadvash infiltrating Starfleet, or at least Romulans infiltrating Starfleet, almost in a parasitic sort of sense, to try and turn Starfleet more like a Romulan empire uh, could be, could be a thing as well. Let's see what 
Brian Yates has one to say. Nice to see you, Brian. While at peace, pulling most of their ships from the patrol routes could potentially leave them open should another power try to take advantage. Yes, absolutely. There is always the possibility that danger could come from somewhere. Now, if we follow the STO um, timelines, of course, there are major Borg incursions that take place later, and it's good to have a well-running fleet to keep yourself protected from the actual Borg threat. I mean, an artifact ship is one thing. But uh, we wouldn't want another massive attack on Sector 001 again for certain. Let's see here. I think we might have lost Barry. Um, he's frozen. Of course, he looks uh, he looks delightful with his little scrunched up nose. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping that uh, that his internet unfreezes momentarily. But um, here I am, clearly looking like um, I was not anticipating being on. Oh, there, I'm back. there he is. <laughs> oh that canadian internet folks yes um, debbie uh, said something really good there when she said that um that gerardi said that they were designed at the daystrom institute i would assume they were manufactured elsewhere and thank you very much uh, to my ebh for popping on folks as we get things going i'm sure i'll be able to get a more reliable internet connection over time but uh just bear with me for the time being and i appreciate everyone's uh everyone's patience on that but uh yay canadian internet right so yeah, Debbie, you're right in that respect. I want to keep moving down here. Aaron, or Arend, they could infiltrate the synths in hardware, software, or network and corrupt them all. Well, it seems that seems the most likely right now. I almost wonder, though, if it would be more interesting if they were convinced somehow. Maybe even in that hack, they're not being told what to do, but more con- taking that time to uh, possibly, possibly end up uh, considering what he was about to do before he did it. Bruce, the Jatvash had been around for centuries. Could their formation have occurred when they, when the Romulans left Vulcan? Possibility, and maybe to that degree, there could be a connection of the logic extremists among the Vulcans and the Jatvash. Of course, we have a reversal here too, which I think would have been neat to follow in the Kelvinverse when the Vulcans would be searching for some means to uh, stay together uh, after their planet being destroyed. But in this case, we've got the Romulans doing it on this side. And of course, the differences between those, um, yeah, they, uh, they, they, might have, they might have ended up uh, uh, acting a little bit differently had, had, situation, had the situation been somewhat different. Critically important, as uh, some fellow by the name of Shashank has to say here, who or what is the plush on Narek's bed? There was a plush toy on Narek's bed. It's good to I see that can't... Shashank is is bringing a hard-hitting <laughs> critical analysis to Trekkie's Picard Maybe he sleeps with the stuffy toy, right? I mean, he's a Romulan. Maybe, Maybe it's a tardigrade. <laughs> yeah, who knows? It could be anything, Shashank. And, and you know what? If I can find it, uh, if it's on sale on a Rom, make sure I get you some and some sweet packet and soup of course uh soup was what they seemed to all have when they were uh when when picard and spock were on romulus uh way back in the day during reunification so yes if i can find it shashank i'll get you some romulan soup and a plush toy and you will have a wonderful wonderful sleep but uh my last little bit of supplemental and again to look for extra pieces the actual name, the Borg Artifact Research Institute, B, and that just kind of tweaked my brain a little bit, and I started thinking about Voyager. In fact, the episode Flesh and Blood of Voyager, where there is a vessel 
called the New Bari, which is infiltrated by an intelligence, and the holograms on that ship are then taken over. Wonder if you look Borg Artifact Research Institute (BARI), maybe there is some kind of sentient machine takeover could come of that maybe there is something within what the writing writing people writing staff are trying to do um maybe as well this could be the connection between the synths and our doctor conversation that was very uh forward by everyone who was listening to last week's picard live so i think that's interesting what does debbie says is Barry kind of channeling before at this point? Yes, yes. I am a I am a substandard unit uh, of a much uh, of a much better design, unfortunately. But uh, I won't have the same weird grin that uh, before had. Thankfully. Also, please, Bill, don't take me apart and put me in that drawer again. I can't stand being in there. It's very, very boring. At least leave a book in, or something that I can read. No, no promises. Al Goodwin says, with the Federation's experience with data and the doctor, anyone else uncomfortable with the synthetic person workforce? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the doctor and data are unique in so many ways, right? They were they were given very uh, specific chances to actualize themselves, right? Of course, the doctor as an EMH was a necessity in a lot of cases, but him showing up that way was was due to the fact that they were stuck in the Delta Quadrant without a doctor and he had to adapt over time. And of course, that's where we start seeing holographic technology taking to the fore with data as well, right? He is sort of a singularity, no other rubric to base yourself off of. And I think he came off very, very well. Yeah, we might be seeing very different types of AI because not every type of AI is going to be the same. And yes, this is very true. Jackie is right. The Jadvash continuously are trying to hack my internet. So every time it happens, just shake your fist at the sky at the Dideridex um, warbird that's flying over our head right now, scrambling my systems. Debbie says, totally and completely AI. Remember, uh, he even married a human. Yes, that is uh, that is a good point as well. So the last little piece here is, do we have some factions coming in? Do we see the idea that the artifact is made by the Romulan Free State? Does that mean there are not Romulan Free States? Could the Empire be fractured rather than being one group trying to... And the Romulan Free State are trying out Borg technology to get to a higher level? I think that would be interesting, too. We could really get an, uh, an understanding of what happens to the Romulans after this horrible... It's a tough one because they can't have senses fully sentient and stay. They haven't made androids as good as the Sung type. Absolutely. And these synths as well, though, I wonder, you know, especially when F8 is trying to make those connections, right, by its jokes and trying to connect with those jokes and trying to sort of personalize its conversation and being shut down over and over again, though it might not be fully sentient. Of course, I think it's sentient enough to know when it's being you know, condescended to. So I wonder if that might be a thing as well. Ali Martinez, all the way from Daystrom Institute in Okinawa, whoops, says, what do you think about the story flow from the first episode to the second? Changes in pacing and story development. Well, that is actually where I wanted to end. So it's almost like she can read my script. So yeah, I do actually have to say that the producing, when um, Picard is at Daj's apartment and he's back at the vineyard, the producing there is really hard to follow and i mean transporter technology means that literally 
anywhere in the world could be like the room next to you if you can transport to it. But it was a little bit jarring for me to know exactly what was being said by whom, when, and how. So I will say that there has been a lot of... Um, Warp speed. I feel like we're moving as fast as the traveler took the Enterprise that one time, trying to get as much information in in these next these last two episodes. I'm pretty sure, and I'm pretty hopeful that we will end up getting a bit more of a, a cruising pace that will happen to the show. But I will say that some of the producing has been a little bit on the oof side. But again, I think it's because they're trying to get as much produced as possible. I will also mention that the music, especially during the operation that takes place on the artifact, is very creepy and very very good and it sets a really good tone like i said about discovery uh, on my appearance on discovering trek i have to say that the special effects and the music uh, for picard is bar none it is very well put together and i'm very excited um, to see what they have so pacing i think it's been a little rushed i think it's been a little bit fast but at the same time they're trying to do a lot with a lot and they're trying to do everything they possibly can so yes I will never, ever not do a Traveler reference. So yes, Shashank, I will bring up the Traveler, and rightly so. He's a wonderful member of the Star Trek pantheon. Let's see what uh, Debbie has to say. It's kind of weird that the Romulans theoretically hate synths, yet they harvest the technology from disconnected Borg and then discard the real people who are left after cybernetic components are removed. Yes, and I think there's going to be more to this as well, which also harkens to me the idea that the free state might not be the entire state when it comes to Romulus and perhaps there could be something happening between the Jatvash and this artifact thing that could be happening and could tie into maybe a conflict happening with our antagonists Dan Ireland says if she's a Romulan I don't think Starfleet knows she has the IDIC symbol on her desk implying that she is pretending to be a Vulcan that of course is Commodore O who yes might be Romulan, might be Vulcan. It's very hard to tell the difference. So I think that's, that's a, again, going to be something kind of strange. And that was a response, I think, to what Ken had to say. Has Starfleet allowed Romulans to openly join since the fall? Thoughts on Commodore O? And that's what Dan had to say. I don't think they would know she was a Romulan, uh, especially given her, her flag she's put up there, the, the pin of the IDIC symbol right at the front. So yeah, Becky, as I had mentioned in terms of some of the producing, episode two was a little hard to follow. A um, little bit disappointed with the way the Federation acted. Um, and the music is, yeah, it's just absolutely wonderful. So I don't know. I think as a sophomore episode, the Picard series has done a fine job of continuing the pace, continuing the urgency of everything, and giving us time to get and understand the characters even though it was a little bit jarring to lose dodge at the beginning we get soji so we still get to kind of understand what these two clone sisters are going to be like so ultimately i think that is where i can um i can start winding down the conversation as i like to do we try to keep this to about an hour uh, of course it's sunday night there's sports to be seen and there's of course mondays to be worked out and worked up to so this has been a wonderful conversation again folks as we start moving into the end here, I want to remind everyone that we are sponsored by Fansets. And also, of course, we have uh, a lot more to talk about 
in the comments sections, of course, on Camp Kittimer, on Twitter, and you can still find this episode. It will drop the following day or Tuesday uh, onto your favorite podcast streaming service. I would also like to shout out the fine music that you heard at the beginning from Five Year Mission. And if you are interested in any more Star Trek podcasting, you can always check us out on the Trek Geeks Network. They've got everything from Trek Rewind to Five Year Mission, Discovering Trek, Trek Geeks, and there are new episodes of Paula Treks out as well, where yours truly and Shashankavaru talk about all things political and Star Trek. So with that, I would like to say to everybody, I hope you get a good uh, chance to have a look again uh, at this episode and uh, see how well it does connect. I think Becky brings up a good point. How does the second and first episode connect? If you can't ever... Um, uh, be on the show or if you, can, if you can't ever watch the show live you can always check it out uh, on your favorite podcast um, platform well with that I will be signing off and to you all I say live long and prosper and on to episode 3 sooner than later